0: Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Friday, May 5th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and I'm very excited today because we're making history here at DFS Coach Talk, our first three-way podcast for an NFL breakdown and so happy to be joined by Shane Caldwell and Brett Trimble. And Brett, I'm going to have to start with you because we did the Cowboys podcast yesterday and Coach had a little message for you.
1: Yes, he did. Uh, he seems to really love his Cowboys and throwing shots <laughs> at Eagles fans. But uh, I just want to throw a quick reminder out there, Coach. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one week last year where the Cowboys needed a win to get in the playoffs, but um I hate to break it to you. The Eagles with the third string line uh, somehow beat you. And, you know, I do have to say it's a little disturbing, but fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> That's
0: right. Brett is our resident Eagles fan, Um, so perfect timing here to back up yesterday's podcast where Coach was wearing his Cowboys blue and he was all fired up, and you know that game at the end of the last year may have been a big turning point and sort of a win-win for Coach. I think that would probably be his response was, yes, the Eagles won, they got to go to the playoffs, but maybe that was the final nail in the coffin for Jason Garrett, uh, because he was certainly excited about Mike McCarthy yesterday, but... Um, yeah, just really, really striking. We all have striking. our opinions. We all have our
1: opinions on Mike McCarthy.
0: So. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. But uh, yeah, just very striking looking at the numbers. Uh, because I was giving Coach a hard time yesterday with the Cowboys outscoring their opponents by so much, only finishing eight and eight. And the Eagles, they they scored 385 points last year. They gave up 354. Somehow they managed to go nine and seven, get in the playoffs. They had uh, well. If you compare that to Dallas's um, point point spread, Dallas outscored its opponent opponents by 82 more points over the course of the season than the Eagles. So that's five points a game extra, and yet somehow the Eagles won the division. So uh, you know Doug Peterson certainly gets the the vote of confidence here for finding a way to win and get into the
1: playoffs. I do have to agree with that. Um, I just, I don't know what it is, but I feel like ever since Doug Peterson really came in for the team after the disastrous Chip Kelly era we have, I I definitely see him putting a lot more confidence in the team, which in return, personally, I think that the players are able to perform and they're not being, you know, so-called looked down on. They actually, you know, can make a play when they need to make a play. Even though these last three years, I do have to say we've, The Eagles have been very injury prone, uh, which leaves a lot of holes in the lineup. But um, otherwise, I do. I really do like Doug Peterson and how he runs this team.
0: Now, Shane, what are your initial thoughts on last season and as we transition into this season as sort of the impartial observer here of the Eagles?
2: Yeah, I think it really was a testament to their coaching staff and their veteran core of players that they have there that are pro bowl caliber players that they were able to go nine and seven, uh, even though they were decimated uh, by injury, especially at the important skill positions like wide receiver. Uh, So I think overall it was a pretty good season being that really on offense, they're ranked in the, in the top 15 in all categories, pretty much. Um, They on defense, they were top 10 in uh, yards given up, which is pretty good considering, um, they were a little limited on talent, and especially in the secondary. Uh, so overall, yeah, I mean the the defense is still one of the best in the league at uh, stopping the run. They were third against the rush, giving up only 90 yards per game. So yeah, I think the, the Eagles had a great great season considering all the injuries. Uh, and they they win they won when they needed to. Sometimes it was ugly. They actually lost the turnover differential at minus three. But they were able to come back and be resilient from that. So that means, you know, this year, a lot of the Dallas fans sometimes tend to overhype, you know, the results. And, you know, they have a lot of exciting, you know, draft picks, but they tend to kind of over sensationalize it a little bit within that group because it says has such a large fan base. Uh, So I believe that the Eagles are actually should be the favorite to win the NFC East. And it's going to be a really close battle between them and the Cowboys. Uh, but we'll go over some reasons why I think the Eagles uh, are going to be the class of the NFC East this year. Excellent. Yeah. Coach was ready
0: to, I think he was ready to give uh CD lamb you know, hall of fame induction last <laughs> night. Uh,
2: yeah, And no mention of Ezekiel Elliott. We wouldn't want to mention him for, uh, no. for daily fantasy. He's not in a position of value or, Uh, we want to talk about saying
1: (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah. if
0: you're new to these podcasts we are breaking down every NFL team 32 in a row one day at a time from a DFS perspective Uh, thank you for tuning in if you want to learn more go to dfscoachtalk.com that's our website you can become a member we cover the NFL the NBA and Major League Baseball we also cover the KBO right now it's the only show in town so if you're a member Our memberships are on hold, and we're giving out free advice, daily advice on the KBO lineups. So let's start to break down uh, the 2020 version of the Eagles. And and Shane, why don't you give us some initial thoughts about why you think the Eagles might be the class of the NFC East?
2: Okay, so everyone knows the Eagles are an elite run defense, okay? It all starts with uh, Fletcher Cox who's probably the best defensive tackle up there with Aaron Donald, a little slightly different player, but I would put him up there with Aaron Donald as the best defensive tackle in terms of just being a beast against the run, getting pressure up the middle. The guy's so quick and powerful and just got such good moves. So it all starts with Fletcher Cox being able to get after quarterback, but be elite against the run. Okay. So a lot of people attack their secondary because they were a little bit questionable and have had a lot of injuries at their at their cornerback position. Okay, uh, they've always had Malcolm Jenkins in the in the back, uh, at, uh, kind of a core guy there who's been solid, but he's gone now, so they lost him. But they gained Darius Slay from the, from the Lions in the trade, uh, and Darius Slay is an elite, you know, Pro Bowl shutdown corner, so he's going to be able to take care of one side. So if they're up against uh, a top wide receiver, they may have him shadow and follow him across the formation, or they might just have Darius Slade take, like, the left side. Typically, he played the left side uh, uh, when he was in Detroit. So that really helps there. They also got Nickel Roby-Coleman, who's a very good slot corner uh, from the Rams. So they've improved their secondary in in that matter. A little concerned about the safety position. That's still going to be a little bit of a question mark. Losing Malcolm Jenkins in terms of his leadership is going to be a big blow to them. But overall... Uh, they also added defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, who played with the Steelers, and he's going to be able to line up with Fletcher Cox in that 4-3 uh, wide nine defense. And he had uh, 83.4 pro football focus grade last year. Uh, so he's, ha- he's a solid player who can get pressure and stop the run. So when you combine those guys in there, their, their, their uh, defensive line is is elite. Their secondary is improved. I'm just a little concerned about the linebackers and the safeties, but overall I think this defense is going to be dominant against the rush and slightly improved against the pass. And the offense is going to be able to control the ball even better this year and score more points and control the time of possession. So that's going to lead to more wins and uh, definitely more success uh, for this team uh, being that they're going to, they're going to retool and get their weapons back Um, subtractions. They lost uh, Jordan Howard, who was a decent running back, Corey Clement, who was kind of a staple there. They lost uh, Nelson Aguilar. I don't think any Eagles fans are too upset about that. Uh, question marks on the O-line now. They, Brett's they
0: shaking his head. I think yeah, he
2: exactly. Not I don't at think, all. yeah, 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 exactly. So now the offensive line was one of the best in the league. That's how they really have uh, been ranked in the top 15 in almost all offensive categories, uh, so despite not having any weapons, really. So the offensive line dominated. Um, the only thing is Jason Peters is kind of contemplating whether he's going to come back or not. He's not under contract. Uh, so we'll talk about that. They also lost Hal- Halifadi Vate. He went to the Lions. Uh, so he was a good backup uh, offensive lineman. Uh, they lost uh, Tim Jernigan, defensive tackle, Nigel Bradham, linebacker, Ronald Darby, the corner, and then the safety, Malcolm Jenkins. So they lost some key guys there. Uh uh, they are gonna they paid Slay big money, so they had to you know, cycle out some of those guys that were high-priced guys, and they're going more of the uh, youth movement. And then we'll talk about their draft. they I think they had a really good draft, actually. I, I do like their draft there. Uh, so overall, yeah, it's an upgrade for this team. Uh, I think you can still pat, uh, attack them in the passing game, but it's not going to be as easy uh, to identify that uh, with top wide receiver ones because of uh, Darius Slay there. But you will still be able to they, uh, exploit them. Uh, and a couple different uh, categories that we'll talk about. Uh, What what do you think there, Brett, uh, for the additions, subtractions, in terms of the outlook of
1: this team? Uh, Additions and subtractions, I really like most of it. Um, it, There is a questionable uh, situation at safety right now, even though the Eagles have brought in Will Parks from the Bronco. Um, He's only on a one-year deal, and there is still a bunch of young guys on the cornerback position on the roster that they were talking about moving the safety. Um, one of the big names was Rasu Douglas and uh, the green goblin Jalen Mills. Uh, he was a the guy they were talk- thinking about, you know, you know, he's cornerback now, but maybe his play style fits better at safety. Um, but we also have to keep in mind Malcolm Jenkins wasn't a pure safety on the Eagles roster. He also lined up at linebacker. He also was a cornerback. He was also, you know, he was all over the, you know, wherever they wanted him, he basically was there on the defense, uh, which was nice. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind, Malcolm Jenkins also one of the huge contract. And, you know, he's getting up in age. And necessarily, I feel like the Eagles pos- the position this offseason was to more or less make the roster young. You know, let's, let's start, you know, bringing in the young guys. Let's start bringing in the players that we can – um build together and that they can, you know, there's not that so much of like an age gap, you know, it's more like a consistency around the whole entire team. And they also want to build a young team for Carson Wentz. He's only, um, he just signed that massive extension. And we'll get into it a little more with the Jalen Hurts, but um, with the draft stuff, but I, I do think that Eagles are trying to build a much younger roster, a much a, a roster that they could, you know, have for, a substantial amount of time rather than just, you know, only, you know, having all these veterans come in on a one year deal or a two year deal and stuff like that. Um, I really do like the, um, what they did this off season. It's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, They are tackling the issues that they had last year at cornerback and safety and linebacker. So um, I'm excited to see how it pans out when camp comes around and uh, we'll see who makes the roster and who doesn't. Well, Brett, I got
0: to mention that nickname, the Green Goblin, that's one of the best nicknames I've heard recently. And I think Jim Schwartz, he's probably just hoping for about 11 of those guys to be able to, you know, send flying around the field. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, Shane, you know, that passing game was the one area to be able to attack. And if they can make incremental improvements there, then this is going to be a very stout defense. Now over on the offensive side, the big change in terms of the overall approach, the coaching staff, is that Mike Groh was fired. Doug Peterson is going to call the plays himself. So, Brett, how do you think about uh, the offense and from a big picture? Do you like that move as an Eagles fan that Doug Peterson is just going to run the show now?
1: I think it's an excellent move with the Philadelphia Eagles and moving forward. Uh, I do have to say I was never a huge Mike Groh fan Uh, from the very beginning. So, me personally, I honestly thought the offensive coordinator job should have gone to Deuce Stanley, who's also another big guy uh, at the Eagles. Um, He's basically Doug's right-hand man for the offense, and I was a little upset that Mike Rowe got the job instead of him. But there is one thing that always sticks with me with Mike Rowe, is in 2018, when the Eagles had Golden Tate, And, you know, that second half of the season was just a struggle with all the injuries and stuff. The one interview that just stuck with me is him saying how he didn't know how to implement Golden Tate into the offense. And that right there was just, you know, like a huge red flag for everyone. I mean, you have a outstanding wide receiver and the fact that you're not able to put him in your playbook in and he just wasn't good with the rookies either. Like I felt like most rookies were struggling to you know succeed with the Eagles so I'm very happy to see him go with Doug's play calling I think he'll do a a terrific job due to you know uh, having Deuce and he's also under Frank Reich uh, during that Super Bowl run so I I think he knows how he can run the offense and uh, with the help with Deuce I definitely think they'll be able to succeed with the younger running backs and the new additions they have at wide receivers
0: yeah Deuce Saley now has the title of running backs coach and assistant head coach So he's certainly right there in the inner circle for the Eagles. Now, Shane, let's start with the quarterback group here. Carson Wentz, um, back under center, hopefully he can stay healthy. What's your outlook for him
2: in 2020? Uh, I'm very high on Carson Wentz. Uh, I was high on him going into last year and no one really could have foreseen that he's gonna lose his top two wide receivers like super early in the year. Um, but yeah, everyone talks about Carson Wentz. So that some people say he's overpaid or overrated or injury prone. I don't care about any of that. I think Carson Wentz is a is an absolute baller, and I think that once he gets his rhythm and he has more weapons around him, he is going to be. I think he he is flirting with uh, top five quarterback uh, top five quarterback potential in the fantasy world here and a great daily fantasy target. Now keep in mind, it was a complete disaster last year in terms of the weapons he had to throw to. I mean, he was throwing to guys that no one even knew for a while, right? And he was still QB 10. He was top 10 in terms of statistics with all those guys, right? So uh, as long as the offensive line can hold up, like I said, I'm a little bit worried about the left tackle. I love Carson Wentz. He threw for over 4,000 yards last year, okay, Uh, 27 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. Uh, He also rushed for 243 yards and a touchdown as well. Uh, so really for what he had to work with, this is, uh, I mean, this was elite level production to be a top 10 quarterback considering he didn't have that many weapons. Yeah. He had some solid tight ends, but really those big chunk plays, you get those from the wide receiver game and he didn't really have much production there on the wide receivers as we'll talk about. So real, really high on Carson Wentz. Uh, I, I love him and I love him in certain matchups. And I think that Again, I'll, I'll talk about the game script and game flow. I think that teams will still be able to attack the Eagles defense in the passing game, which sets you up for a nice high-scoring high, high scoring shootout uh, where Carson Wentz is throwing a lot and the opposing team is throwing a lot. I think even with Darius Slay, uh, the, the teams are still going to be able to throw on him. Uh, so that's a good thing. So we're looking for some pretty good high-scoring games with a lot of fireworks. I mean, once you have his – he's got his weapons back with – Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, and then adding all these other uh, guys that they have, this young group. Uh, Getting rid of uh, Nelson Aguilar, right? Someone that can catch the ball. That probably helps as well. Uh, Yeah, so big upgrade on Carson Wentz here. And I don't care what people say about injuries or inconsistencies. I'm I'm big on this guy. Well, it's funny how you
0: describe him. You mentioned that ability to run. And that reminds me, Brett, of a guy that they drafted, some fellow named Jalen Hurts, Kind of early in the draft. I think it was maybe the second round and interesting pick with Wentz young in the prime of his career. What do you think about that?
1: I at the time of the draft, I was honestly at a loss for words. You know, the Eagles needed, you know, they needed a bunch of other things. And they went and, you know, it pulled a shocker on this draft and Jalen Hurts. Um, but I do have a good point that people tend to forget. So you remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and Carson Wentz got hurt in week like week 17, and then we had you know Saint Nick carry us all the way to the Super Bowl and we won the Super Bowl. I, I think it's pretty crucial to have a backup quarterback, and, uh, and Jalen Hurts, as much as he's a winner, I I do really think that um there will be times where he needs to take the team under the ring and you know carry this team and keep him afloat because as we know Carson Wentz is not necessarily the most durable quarterback out there. So I do think, you know, he, he can be a great solid backup and he can also learn a lot from Carson Wentz and, you know, taking on the leadership role, you know, down the road if he stays with us, but it is still a little shocking that we took a backup quarterback in the second round as, as someone as big as Jalen hurts. Um, there's going to be all these conspiracies out there about Carson Wentz maybe retiring and stuff out there, but I I think they personally just did it just to make sure they had, you know, a solid backup quarterback, you know, instead of bringing in, uh, for instance, you know, Josh McCown, who was coaching high school football on the side and doing this for the Eagles. So, and then uh, we lost Nick Foles to Jacksonville and then Nate Southfield. I don't even think you guys know who he is, but, I'm pretty sure we didn't even resign him. So yeah,
0: he's back, but he yeah he's only thrown 25 passes.
1: Yeah, and he's not reliable. He on, started
0: so. uh, one one career touchdown, so he's that traditional backup. But yeah, Hertz is more of the um, the clone, if you will, to Wentz, the dual threat. And we talked about it with the the Packers. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And Brett, you really highlighted it there. Without Saint Nick coming in, the Eagles don't get that Super Bowl. And, you know, the Packers have seen uh, a real failure with their backup group when Aaron Rodgers goes down. So I think it makes sense to invest in a guy like Jordan Love. And I I think it makes sense to invest in a guy like Hertz. Um, It's just too valuable of of a position in in today's game, especially when you have a certain style like that. You want to match it with your backup. So I think it makes sense.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with uh, I really agree with both of you, Brett. Thanks for saying that, because I, I about uh, I've been saying that since I heard a lot of the Eagles fans were mad about them drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round. And I was like, did they just forget in, a few years ago in 2017, they won the Super Bowl. And if they didn't have a good backup quarterback, they would not have won the Super Bowl. Like yeah. they must not have very good memory. Uh, so and, and in and I agree with with Andrew is the quarterback position is by far the most valuable position. And if you can draft a quarterback and hit on one, even if it's a backup, that's a super valuable position. And I think people are also discounting the fact that Jalen hurts is a perfect fit for this offense, being able to run the uh, he can run the op, the read option out of this offense. He can run the RPOs out of this offense. So he is a multi-dimensional threat, uh, you know, similar to Lamar Jackson in terms of being able to run and pass. Now he's not as elite, as a runner is Lamar Jackson, but he's still a pretty physical runner. Uh, And uh, I mean, the stats he put up at Oklahoma last year were just ridiculous. It was uh, video game stats, So I think it was a great pick. I don't know why people were upset about it. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah. Another quick thing thing I want to add on top of it is that uh, there was a lot of speculation with the Eagles doing what kind of the Saints do with uh, Taysom Hill with the two quarterback system. Um, That idea was thrown out there, but personally, from a fantasy perspective, I really don't think you're gonna have to worry about that at all. If you per se take Carson Wentz on your on your in your lineup, there's just no reason why you, you shouldn't pick him just because there's some rumors going out there saying like, oh yeah, they are gonna split the game in half. They're gonna you know, let Carson Wentz play a certain amount of time and then they're gonna let Jalen Hurts, you know, take the ring from there. But uh, from a DFS perspective, I do think Carson Wentz is still valuable each week, depending on the situation, even with Jalen Hurts as a backup. So it doesn't really change much.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's going to be a very important topic to watch. Um, you know, Wentz piled up 28 touchdowns last year. And Shane, you sent us the stats. Jalen Hurts, he knows how to get into the end
2: zone. 53 total touchdowns last year? Yeah. No, that's just unbelievable. I mean, not only have 53 touchdowns, uh, he passed for – uh, 3,851 yards, almost 70% completion percentage, okay, over 11 yards per completion, only eight interceptions, which wasn't bad considering he had 32 passing touchdowns. And then on top of that, his rushing volume was just ridiculous, uh, which that's where you can see the the kind of rumors of them uh, being able to throw him in, uh, you know, the running game as well with Philadelphia to, to attack defenses and keep them off, off guard, Because 233 attempts is ridiculous for uh, a quarterback. And these are designed runs for 1,298 yards, 5.6 average clip there, and 20 rushing touchdowns. So the guy was, again, with his physicality, breaking tackles and making defenders miss, he's a red zone threat. Uh, So he's a big-time red zone rushing and passing threat. And he even had a receiving touchdown, shows you how – it really how multi dimensional this guy is. So, yeah, so he, he is a weapon. He's a backup quarterback and he's a weapon. And I can see them as the year goes on getting him involved in the offense more in certain packages. I don't see it early in the year, but I can see that later on as defenses try to adjust their offense and then they want to try to throw him a wild card you know, that's what they'll do is they'll they'll, they'll mix him in there, uh, similar how the Saints did last year. They started throwing their guy in there, Taysom Hill, towards the end of the year more just to throw defenses off their game plan. Uh, so, yeah, he's a weapon, and he's a great – I think he's going to be great. He's improving all the time as a passer each year, which is good because he was really not that great at Alabama as a passer. But with his improvements in passing and everything that he's got going on, I think he's going to be great in this offense.
0: Yeah, that the stat that really jumped out for me there – is the one you highlighted, Shane, that Hertz had 233 rushing attempts. And we just got done talking the other day about Washington's third-round draft pick, who's going to be a running back and a receiver, Antonio Gibson. He had 33 carries last year. (laughs) So Jalen Hurts, as a quarterback, had 200 more carries than him? I would be concerned uh, for for Wentz's fantasy value. Um, But I agree with you. Maybe not at the beginning of the season, but I, I don't think Doug Peterson's just going to let him sit on the sidelines and do nothing. I think they're going to design some special packages for him, so we will continue to monitor that for you on a weekly on a weekly basis. So let's transition to the running backs. Um, Miles Sanders had quite the rookie year. I saw a stat on Twitter. Uh, it was Graham Barfield, so I'll, I'll give credit to him. He pointed out that there's only been 16 rookie running backs who've had over 1,200 yards from scrimmage on less than 250 touches. So Miles Sanders uh, you know, was really efficient, he ended up averaging 5.8 yards per touch. And Shane, you before we got on, you were, you were breaking down the game log. Uh, he didn't start out quite so hot, but he really found his groove eventually.
2: Yeah, I loved Miles Sanders uh, last year. I was locking him in, definitely coming down the stretch, and he helped me win a fantasy championship. So this guy was stuck behind Saquon Barkley at Penn State, so a lot of people didn't really know about him. But once he had his chance, uh, his senior year at Penn State, I mean, the guy was uh, was a beast. You know, he just he just never really got the notoriety because Saquon was so amazing there. But this guy just does everything. He's explosive. He's quick. He's got great agility. He's got great hands. He can pass protect, he can run between the tackles, he can get outside, he can do everything. So uh, they really wanted to bring him along slowly. They weren't quite sure about him. Uh, maybe, like you said, the offensive coordinator didn't like rookies or something because they were just riding Jordan Howard. And uh, Jordan Howard had some decent games with, behind that offensive line, but overall it didn't really produce that much. But yeah, you have uh, 100, only 179 rushes. So that means Miles Sanders coming in this year, it's fresh, okay, 818 yards, 4.6 yards per Carry uh, and uh, three touchdowns uh, rushing. Now, in the receiving game, so this is where he's super valuable in, in uh, PPR uh, sites like DraftKings 50 catches for 509 yards, 10.2 yards per catch, and three touchdowns there. So he was great in PPR, top DK games. He had a game where he broke out for 38 fantasy points on DK. And then he had uh, se- several other games above 20. He had 26, 22, 21, 18. Uh, even on FanDuel, he still had 32, 24, 21, 19, 16. His price slowly went up, but he never it never really got super high. So this guy was a great uh, middle, middle-tier price that was uh, elite production. And you kind of knew it at the end of the year once Jordan Howard was injured that he was the guy. Um, so, yeah, very impressed with Miles Sanders. And uh, he's a guy that everyone's on this year. Big things are to come for him now brett i want to ask you about the rest of the running back group it's it's not very deep
0: due to these changes the only real contributor who's back on the roster is boston scott because as shane mentioned jordan howard is no longer there he signed with miami and he was that traditional early down back that they used Uh, he ended up with 525 yards he only played in nine games but boston scott you know, really showed some potential there late in the season. How do you feel about him as uh, the backup to
1: Sanders? Uh, I'm not going to lie. In the beginning of the season, Boston Scott cost us, like, a game or something. And I was anti-Boston Scott for, like, I say a solid, like, five weeks. But um, with the, with the going forward, um, the running back core kind of scares me a little bit. It's a Very young core. Um, you have two extremely young players entering their second season um, being on the roster. And uh, I, I really do think that they need a veteran presence, like a third guy signed on there, like LaShawn McCoy or Hyde or someone that can um, really help them uh, figure out what their game is. But at the same time, I'm really not that worried uh, because Miles Sanders has shown us what he can do. Um, he, he's, he's outstanding. He's an outstanding back. He almost shows he, I don't want to like overhype him too much, but his game reminds me a lot like Christian McCaffrey. Um, you know, he can do both, you know, he can rush, he can pass, which is nice to see. Um, but definitely, I I feel like the Eagles are going to definitely sign a running back. Um, as a veteran who's going to really help, you know, bring this group together because this is the group that they're going to go forward with that they're probably really going to be heavily relying on miles Sanders to get up and down the field with Boston Scott here and there when miles is, you know, worn out and tired. But I I really do think that going forward from DFS perspective, if miles is on a hot streak, I would definitely, you know, choose him on my Sunday lineup. That's not just because I'm an Eagles fan, but because he has the potential to, you know, have a two, three touchdown game because he's both, A threat on you know the running game and the passing game um, which is nice to see so
0: yeah it really is and um, Shane you had highlighted those 50 catches which would make him really their most valuable receiver other than the tight ends because it was an (laughs) absolute mess wide receiver last year Um, let's talk about that group Alshon Jeffrey certainly the wide receiver one in terms of name and reputation but Can't do you too much good if he's on the sidelines and just really disappointing Uh, 43 catches for the year and only one touchdown.
2: Yeah, he had a couple, he had a couple good games. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey actually had a DraftKings game of uh, 31. I think that was the first game of the season when they just went off against Washington and 23 and 22. He only played in nine games. Some of those games, he was like a hobbled decoy uh, the problem with this guy is he never seems to be in that great a shape. He's kind of a bigger guy, and he's not really that quick. He's uh, relying on his size and his great hands to uh, catch the ball. Uh, but yeah, 43 catches for 490 yards, 11.4 average, and four touchdowns. So not a horrible season, considering he only played nine games. Um, but yeah, this is a guy that you have to watch and see what what his conditioning's like in training camp and preseason, because. With this being, you know, sort of a quarantine offseason, he's a guy that's hard to trust in terms of his conditioning, his his ability to produce. But like I said, said, he's a big target. Carson Wentz obviously trusts the guy. So he's still someone you have to keep an eye on. Uh, And then you have Deshaun Jackson, who went crazy week one against Washington, catches a couple bombs. He gets like 38 fantasy points, you know, huge, huge, you know, uh, GPP play on DraftKings and FanDuel. And, of course, he gets injured after that, and he's out for the rest of the year. Tried to come back at one point, couldn't make it. So he really only had really one game where he played the whole thing, Uh, nine catches, 159 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, that was pretty much all in that one game. Uh, So it was impressive. Uh, He still got a lot of speed and experience, uh, and he's still a huge playmaker. He's the ultimate GPP play. He's the boomer bust play and he's still a threat in this game. And Carson Wentz can throw a pretty good deep ball. So we're looking for Deshaun Jackson to uh, to really bounce back here uh, in this group. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the wide receivers here, Brett?
1: Uh, the wide receivers was absolutely atrocious last year. Uh, the whole thing with Deshaun Jackson and uh, Alshon Jeffrey, I really do think the medical staff needs to get fired. I think I could have done a better job, you know, diagnosing them. But – Anyway, the whole point was that this wide receiving court was an absolute disaster. Uh, we had to end up, like, towards the end of the season, we had basically our whole entire practice squad out there for wide receivers. And, you know, at least I could say we came out with Greg Ward. Uh, really showed a lot of potential, a lot of uh, promise going forward. Um, I do like that we got rid of the dead weight, like Nelson Aguilar, who... Ch- just went on such a decline. Um, but I'm really excited to see what this wide receiving court has for this year, considering that we have a healthy uh, Deshaun Jackson, possibly a healthy Alshon Jeffrey. And then we got the, you know, the Jalen Rager coming in from the draft, solid draft pick. And, you know, it'll be exciting to see who gets the touches through that core. Cause as we all know, Carson Wentz loves his tight ends, So, um, that they're usually his go-to guys especially in the red zone uh, which is if you're looking for a tight end you know you usually and if you want a guaranteed guy to get passed to a lot you know Zach Ertz and Dallas Goedert are there but we'll break down uh, in a couple minutes um, but from DFS perspective I'm not really a huge fan of you know choosing the Eagles wide receivers unless you know as Shane said it's a boomer bust play and you have a moment where like Deshaun Jackson where he went on for thirty eight points against Washington. Um I definitely would not target these group of guys until they prove, you know, that they can actually be a threat on like, you know, the tight ends who are, you know, notoriously known for being a threat. You know, they already have a dominant one two in Ertz and Gutter. So yeah, my so take you, on it. Yeah, if you look at the touchdown
0: production And thank you for correcting me, Shane. I was talking about Jeffrey's one rushing touchdown, but only four receiving touchdowns for Jeffrey. And then after that crazy first week for Deshaun Jackson, when he caught two touchdowns, he didn't score again. And then Aguilar was next with three receiving touchdowns. He's gone. And so then you've got Greg Ward, who really did finish well down the stretch, those last four games, basically averaging five catches for 50 yards. So he's a nice... um, a nice guy to have in your back pocket, sort of a security blanket. But how do you think the rest of the group is going to shake out, Shane, in terms of the three rookies headlined by Jalen Ragor and then Marquise Goodwin, who they got in a trade?
2: Yeah, Marquise Goodwin really uh, kind of fell off at San Francisco last year. So we'll see. He's still a guy that you can put out there maybe in four wide receiver sets if you want him to do like a clear out route and create a space underneath for some of these other guys. Uh, he's a deep threat, just like Deshaun Jackson. So he's a situational deep threat type guy, and we'll see if he, if Marquise Goodman even makes the team. I think he probably will because of his, his speed and experience. Uh, really excited in the first round, 21st pick. They take Jalen Rager. Some people thought they should have took uh, Je- Justin Jefferson. Uh, I think, again, Jalen Rager fits their, fits their offense. I think he's going to be able to return kicks and punts and be an explosive player in special teams, and I think he can... He can uh, get quite a few snaps at the slot wide receiver position and he could line up outside if he wanted to. But I think he'll be good in the slot. Uh, His production dipped a little bit last year. They had a rookie quarterback at TCU. So I think that hurt his uh, his pass receiving production. He only had 43 catches, 611 yards for 14.2 average and five touchdowns. Uh, But this is a guy who's who's a true burner. He's about five eleven. Uh, interesting enough, he was uh, up to about 206 pounds at the combine. He still ran a 4:47 speed 40, which a lot of people said that's maybe a little bit a uh, little bit slower than what they thought he was going to run, but still elite speed. And then he so because people kind of criticism of that, he did a virtual pro day workout later in April, and he was down to like a little over 197 pounds. And he ran a 4-2-2 at that that workout. Uh, So so he is a speed guy, and he's showing that I think that if he loses a little weight, that can improve his quickness as a return guy or a slot receiver. Uh, He's explosive. It's a guy that they're going to get involved in the running game again. Uh, They will get him the ball in space. Uh, He can play slot, uh, a lot of end around, jet sweeps, those type of things, cause a lot of misdirections and a lot of issues. And he's a guy that can take it to the house at, at any time. Uh, so I think I look for big things and I think they're gonna implement him into the offense right away, um, he might not be a full time player, but he he will be implemented right away in uh, he's a big play type guy. So again, he's another one of those probably GPP type guys. you know, uh, probably a fan dual play more in DraftKings just because I don't think he's gonna be a high PPR, you know uh, you know uh, receptions type guy where he's gonna get eight to ten receptions, but I could see him only needing you know three or four receptions uh, to to make some huge plays. Uh, So, yeah, look for big things from him. Uh, uh, Very excited about him in the wide receiver group. Uh, Not big on Greg Ward. I think Greg Ward was just, uh, you know, somewhat successful. But if that's as good as he's going to get, being that he was the number one receiver last year, then I'm not interested in him with all these other guys in in the mix here. Uh, And then they also drafted while we're talking about wide receivers, John Hightower out of Boise State in the fifth round. And I thought he was a great pick as well. Uh, so this guy, uh, 51 catches, 953 yards, 18.5 yards per catch. Big play guy, eight touchdowns. And he's also uh, had uh, pretty good size. He was a taller guy, not not as uh, big in terms of weight, but taller guy, 4'4 speed. And he is the half uh, inch vertical at the combine. And I feel like he's kind of like a Deshaun Jackson, you know, future replacement is – just to kind of like a a deep ball threat, a big play uh, type threat. Uh, He had a good career at Boise State. So he's a developmental uh, guy that should get in the mix there that was a good pick. Yeah, Brett, what do
0: you think about that investment in speed? I think it makes sense with Rager and Hightower uh, because Deshaun Jackson, I mean, if we can only count on him for one
1: productive week per season, that's probably (laughs) not going to cut it, is it? It's not going to cut it at all, but I definitely like that they're investing more in speed, considering that, you know, as you said earlier, Alshon's more of a, you know, relying on his, you know, size, you know, to get the ball away from defenders. And um, especially that J.J. Argo Whiteside's also more like, you know, Alshon Jeffrey. So they really didn't have a ton of speed at the wide receiving position. So it was was really refreshing to see that they drafted Rager and uh, Hightower, because I, I do see them too making the rosters in the future, which can really you know, spice up on you know, this offseason and how you know, who are they gonna keep, who are they not gonna take, are they gonna take an extra wide receiver? So it'll be it'll be really nice to see um that whole group, you know, kinda like redone and, you know, refresh. But I definitely like the speed. Um it's it's gonna bring it's gonna open so many more doors um for the offense that they're not just, you know, heavily relying on their tight ends. They have someone who can actually go deep and, you know, open up the field a lot more. So I say it's a great it's a great investment for the future.
0: Now, Brett, I want to ask you about the tight ends next, because I made the claim recently that the best best tight end group in the NFL is going to be down in Tampa next year with Gronk and OJ Howard and Cameron Bright. But pound for pound, man for man. What do you think? Ertz and Goddard is that the best tight end duo in the NFL?
1: When you're talking duo, yes. If you're talking trios, then I don't want to have to give it to Tampa. But uh, I really do think that Ertz and Goddard are probably one of the best duo tight ends in the league. And it's really exciting to see what you know kind of formations they take and how they run a certain plays with both of them on the field. Uh, as you know, Ertz had uh, 134 targets. That's a lot for a tight end. Um, he almost had a thousand yards, six touchdowns. Goddard had five touchdowns. Um, they both averaged about ten and a half yards, which was nice. But as well as you know, they are a deadly duo. Just I, I feel like it's going to be a little different this year when you know they're factoring in the new wide receivers that they're coming in because they're not going to be you know so heavily reliant as the tight ends as they were you know previously, w- which can bring out you know good and bad things, you know, DFS perspective, you know, it makes you a little worried that, you know, Ertz is not going to have as many targets as well in the red zone, which, you know, less points as well as, you know, people aren't going to roster him as much, which also brings to the point that, you know, George Kittle is around that same prej point, and we don't know what Grunk is at yet. So there is going to be a bunch of other options for, say, if, you know, if the, um, if they get less targets this year. So um, I still think they're probably one of the best duos out there. I was very excited when we drafted Um uh, We snagged him away from Dallas two years ago. Um, he, sh- I, he probably Ertz's his successor at this point. Uh, I'm not a huge fan on Josh Perkins. Uh, he's been bouncing up and down the roster. I really don't think he's going to have that much of an impact unless, say, uh, one of the two main guys go down. I think they're just going to go with the one-two punch with Ertz and Goddard. That's how now, I feel. Yeah.
0: Now, Shane, I want to ask you something about uh, from the DFS perspective and the idea of maybe playing Carson Wentz by himself in some, in some lineups because, you know, Brett, you kind of touched on the various formations that the Eagles use, and sometimes they use both Ertz and Goddard. You look at the snap counts. Ertz had 80% of the snaps last year. And Goddard had 66% of the snaps, so they're out there on the field a lot. They both had, you know, 58 catches or more. Ertz had 88. I find it hard to predict some weeks which guy is going to get in the end zone. And we already touched on how the wide receivers just weren't getting in the end zone. Um, you know, a lot, a lot happened on the ground. So, um, Shane, what do you think about playing Carson Wentz by himself or do you think it'll be there'll be a little bit more clarity this year in terms of who you might want to stack with Wentz? Uh,
2: I think, yeah, I think you read my mind because I was just thinking about that, how I actually like Carson Wentz uh, to run him uh, just naked and, uh, you know, not actually stacking them because it's really hard to rely on the boomer or bust nature of Deshaun Jackson and, you know, Alshon Jeffries, definitely a red zone target, but he's hard to rely on as well. And then you don't know what's going to happen with these rookies. And, you know, so Carson Wentz with the tight end. Yeah, distribution. I think Dallas Gall- Gallert, uh that that hurt Zach Hurts a little bit last year as well. So to your point, he's he's fully loaded with weapons now and he's got a good offensive line. And I feel like this is the, the season where he can have an MB, MVP caliber season similar to he did, uh, to, I think it was what, 2017 when he was on that run, uh, before he went down. So, uh, yeah, so he's definitely a guy you can play in cash games, uh, with no correlation there. Uh, and then if you're going to go for a GPP, I would probably pair him with Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson. Uh, and then, one of those guys and then probably one of the tight ends as well, depending on the pricing and your build there. Um, Yeah. But yeah, he's great for that because he can run the ball a little bit and he's just going to put up a lot of volume. Again, you're going to want to target games where they're not heavily favored and we're expecting a high point point total. Sometimes they do get into this NFC uh east games like you know against the cowboys or something like that where it's kind of like an ugly game because the teams know each other so well and again yeah. i try to i try to steer away from those games you know i always you know it's the 13 to 10 game or you know those type of things not good for dfs uh production so if it's a game where they're heavily favored and they're just going to give the ball to Miles Sanders. You're going to want to steer clear of Carson Wentz, but yeah, he's he's like I said, I'm predicting I'm projecting him for around top five quarterback production. So you could run him all day. And you're like you said, you're right. It's really hard to predict it, which uh which is a compliment of how many good weapons he has and how he can spread the ball uh, out. And that's why I think it's uh, big things for this team this year.
0: Absolutely. Now before we wrap up with the draft coverage.
2: Final thoughts there. Shane, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at D E T Sports Shane. D E T Sports Shane on Twitter.
1: And Brett? You can find me at Duffy underscore DFS. That's the D-E- wrong e- way to spell it. Yeah, okay. It's D E A F Y underscore D F S.
0: Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at languageolympic and the full squad. You can reach at DFS Coach Talk. Now, Shane, you broke down the wide receivers there, the three rookies that the Eagles picked up in the draft. Any other uh, big splashes that we should be aware of in terms of DFS?
2: Yeah, I'm going to just break down a a couple of the players in the draft. I think they had a great draft. Uh, First, before I do that, I just want to mention one thing. Uh, As we study these teams, I'm studying their roster I'm looking for different areas I can exploit the the, the defense, so if you're going against uh, Philadelphia. So here's one thing I, I want to bring up. I'll give you an example. So I may look to exploit teams that are going up against Philadelphia. I may want to play their wide receiver, too, uh, and the reason why is I feel like Darius Slay is probably going to uh, – you know, so let's say they're playing, Darius Slay is probably going to shadow the, if it's a Pro Bowl caliper elite, you know, top level wide receiver one. So let's say they're playing the Cowboys, which they don't play till like more middle of the season, but Darius Slay is going to shadow Amari Cooper. Uh, he's going to match up with them again a lot. And uh, in the slot, if you have, let's say, CeeDee Lamb in the slot, um, I think that they, uh, with the guy they uh, brought in there, Nicole Roby uh, Coleman, I think he's a good slot corner. So now that leaves you with their weakness that I want to exploit, which is whatever guy is their second corner. It could be Avante Maddox, Russell Douglas, you know, some of these young guys. I don't trust those guys. They're really not good rated for pass coverage. So that's where I would exploit uh, someone like a Michael Gallup, right? A wide receiver too. So I just want to bring that up as a philosophy is – when you look at the makeup of the roster and the matchups, you can exploit that for a big game and you can get a guy like Ma- Michael Gallup at a decent price and have him go off for a huge, you know, 30 plus fantasy point game because the matchup and don't think that uh, Doug Peterson's not looking at the same thing. Cause he is, that's why we're looking at this. Right. And then you can also exploit them. Um, so if you look at running backs, your first instinct is do not play running backs against the Eagles which makes sense. But I would actually look at teams that are, uh, are going to be uh, uh, big underdogs, so they're, they're not going to be favored to win, um, and they have pass-catching running backs because I think you can exploit them in the passing game with running backs out of the backfield, uh, those third-down, hurry-up-style uh, uh, running backs. So I would look to exploit PP in PPR and DraftKings third-down-style running backs And teams against the Eagles, because I think their linebacker and safety group is a major weakness and also tight ends. I would target tight ends. Uh, So, again, if it's the Cowboys, maybe I'm going to stack Dak Prescott and Blake Jarwin and Michael Gallup when they play the Eagles. And I feel like the Eagles will score against them. Right. So now we have a real life example. Uh, so, yeah, so so there you, there, the coach will be happy that I'm going to stack the Cowboys against them. But again, I'm going to exploit <laughs> their weaknesses, right? Uh, that's what we're looking to do. Uh, you're not going to just throw the ball into Darius Slay every time, right? So, uh, so look to exploit weaknesses uh, based on the roster, and those are a few of the things I wanted to bring up. Okay. Uh, okay. So no, no, the Before draft. you get before you no, get sorry. to the draft,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that breakdown. I'm a little bit concerned with all that Cowboys talk that Brett might be feeling ill here. But uh, well, it's a, it's a
2: real life example of a, a major division rival, and I think that, that's it. That I bring up that matchup because it's a perfect example, and also that those games are so critical. Uh, in terms of these teams uh, playing their chess match. And th- those are the two best teams in this division by far. It's, it's going to be
1: them. It's going to be close, you know. But, so, right,
2: yeah.
0: Brett, is that is that a fair crit- critique of your defense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not <laughs> the proudest of our defense, but I do have to say it's fairly fair. And I know Coach probably going to be, you know, smiling like a kid on Christmas, you know, just listening to Shane talk about him targeting the Eagles. But I, I do have to say that's – pretty fair analysis with the young cornerback group and the safeties being, being a different safety this year, we're going to have to really reevaluate how our defense works. So I definitely can see, you know, uh, wide receiver, two tight ends and possibly the quarterback, you know, Shane, you can't guarantee Dak's going to hit his target every time. Right. I mean, that's, but that's just, well, these guys are going
2: to be so wide open that even Dak is going to be able to
1: hit them. Well, (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. There's going to be some parts.
2: You could play Ezekiel Elliott because you're thinking everyone in the DFS community is thinking, I'm not going to take Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to be running into a brick wall with that elite run defense in the, between the tackles. All of a sudden Ezekiel Elliott could have a game where he catches like five or six balls for 80 receiving yards and a touchdown. Right. And then he just gets another, like, you know, red zone touchdown or something goal line carry so that's that's my point is you can exploit yeah.
1: that that is a fair assessment though which it kind of makes me more excited to see how the year goes on see how our defense progresses uh, it's also very like the one thing i really love about dfs is being able to you know see what other people have so you could on you can especially in big tournaments you could almost put yourself in the mindset of like oh yeah they're targeting this team because you know it's not just for the eagles but you know if they're targeting this team because they're not the strongest here, or they're not the strongest there, and it's pretty—it's pretty neat to, you know, try and put yourself in their shoes and understand, you know, why they went this route or why they went that route. And I, one of my favorite things about DFS, but yeah, that is a fair assessment of the Eagles until I can successfully prove that they you know, have a steady, you know, cornerback and safety core and linebackers. So,
2: so I'll just give you a couple other examples here. So if they play in week two, the Eagles play the Rams. You could maybe target uh, Cam Akers. If Cam Akers is looking good in terms of receiving threat, uh, the backfield is running back. That's a guy that it's going to be super cheap because he's a rookie. Yeah. He's in a great system. And remember what Todd Gurley used to do when he's healthy in the receiving game and how Sean McVay attacks weaknesses uh, out of receiving running back. So that's an example. And no one's on Cam Akers because they're, they're looking at that rating and it says first rated defense and
1: against the <laughs> rush, right?
2: They're like, stay yeah. away. But all of a sudden Cam Akers goes out there and just lights him up. And then you can look at when they play the Giants twice a year, Saquon Barkley, you're like, I'm not playing Saquon. The Eagles are an elite rush defense, right? Okay, well, Saquon's capable of, you know, having a huge game just in just in uh, receiving yards, right, in PPR. And he's also capable of still breaking off a big run in, in the running game just because he's that good. So that's, that's my point is that going against the kind of group thinking what people are thinking because they're so scared of the matchup, but exploiting other weaknesses in that defense, so. But
0: no, I, I love the I love the analysis there, and we actually talked yesterday on the Cowboys podcast about the relative value of Gallup compared to Cooper, and how they had basically averaged the same amount of fantasy points on DraftKings, but Gallup was about a thousand dollars cheaper. So really wise to target that second wide receiver against the Eagles. And Brett, it just goes back to the point you made earlier. I mean, look at the scoreboard, right? Garrett and company couldn't figure that out last year. And Jim Swartz and company and the Eagles got that 17-9 victory at home and that allowed them to go to the playoffs. But uh, but, Shane, let's let's circle back here and uh, wrap up with some draft analysis.
2: Yeah. So uh, we've talked about Jalen Rager quite a bit. I think he's going to be a multi-dimensional weapon and I love him in this offense. I think he's a great fit. We talked about Jalen Hurts. I'm big on the pick. I know it was controversial to take him in a valuable second-round pick, but I think he's a great uh, going to be a great addition to, to the uh, offense, and you need a backup quarterback. It's a valuable position. Um, now, they took in the third-round uh, linebacker Davion Taylor out of Colorado. This guy had an interesting story. He's a little bit more of an undersized guy, um, but he does have elite athleticism and speed um you know you guys probably saw I sent I sent you the example of his ras score which is stands for relative athletic score and the guy tested out in the elite category he was an 8.54 uh, uh, out of 10 uh he had a 35 inch vertical jump uh he tested out really good in the broad jump the short shuttle so basically he showed ex, uh, great explosion grade great agility and elite speed at 449 at the combine and 439 in the 40 yard dash. So he's a little bit undersized at only 228 pounds, about six foot, but he can, he can actually move around the formation and kind of play that Malcolm Jenkins role in the box as well. Um, and he should be able to cover better. This guy had an interesting story. He wasn't able to, Uh, play very much in high school even though he was on the football team because of his religion prohibited from him playing on like Fridays and Saturdays yeah some some weird story I don't know exactly the details of it but anyway so he was a late bloomer he's a developmental kind of raw athlete that they'll develop Uh, so then when he went to college at Colorado he got his mom to i don't know adjust the schedule for the uh what days he can play and he was allowed to play on saturdays then so yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean the guy could he could rush the rush the passer and he can just move all around the formation and like i said he's an elite athlete so it's a guy that developed and they are really light on the uh, linebacker position so it was a position uh a position of need and and a high upside guy uh Safety Kevon Wallace had a lot of experience at Clemson. He had a great season, won the national championships at Clemson. So he was a great pick in the fourth round. And uh, who did you say that uh, he was? Uh, that there was a connection there, Brett, with uh,
1: Kevon Wallace in, in the Eagles? Yeah, Kevon Wallace was uh, really close to Brian Dawkins' son at Clemson. So when he got drafted, Brian Dawkins was tweeting out, you know, treat my treat my boy. Wallace right? you know, he, he's going to put in all the work. He's really going to bring his talent to Philadelphia. And it it really was neat to see because, you know, like, I can't remember the last time, like, an Eagles legend was, like, so hyped up about a certain player. But it, it was pretty cool seeing that Eagles connection and seeing how Wallace performed in college. It got me really excited, but I'm not going to, you know, too overly excited until I can see like his production on the field but he's definitely got big shoes to fill now that he's you know close to Brian Dawkins so we'll see how it works
2: yeah I mean they really need help at the safety position there uh I like you said I think that it's going to be probably Rodney McLeod and Jalen Mills starting there because Jalen Mills will be able to cover a little bit and Will Parks uh so Kevon Wallace is a guy that they'll throw in in The problem with him at Clemson is he didn't have very good movement skills and very good coverage skills. So you kind of worry about him being on an island out there uh, in coverage there. And again, if he is played, then we'll, we'll exploit that matchup because I don't think he's going to be that great in coverage there. And then they also took another SEC big guy, the offensive lineman, uh, Jack Driscoll, uh, who could be, uh, you know, a good uh, swing offensive tackle, like a batch backup uh, tackle there. And he's a, Really tall, lengthy guy. He's a developmental guy. He needs to add strength still, but he was really solid at Auburn. So that's another developmental guy. And then we talked about John Hightower. A lot of people thought that was one of their better picks because they got him in the fifth round and he could end up being a starting starting uh, wide receiver caliber and kind of take over for Deshaun Jackson. Because Deshaun Jackson's obviously not getting any younger. Right. Even though he's still a pretty good athlete. Um, and then uh, linebacker uh, Sean Bradley out of Temple, uh, another guy that was a pretty pretty solid linebacker there, developmental, trying to build the depth there. Uh, and then they got another fast guy in the sixth round, uh, wide receiver Quays Watkins out of Southern Mississippi. And uh, he had 55 catches last year for over 1,000 yards, 18.6 average, and five touchdowns. He was a four-three speed guy. So they got a lot of these guys that are smaller built super fast you know four three four four speed but they struggle with press coverage that's what the, the trend is what i'm seeing with these younger guys so you got to scheme them open which i think doug peterson will be good at doing that uh so that was the main draft picks i wanted to highlight they obviously they had a ton of draft picks they're moving around the board a lot of late round picks but you can see they're going to try to build through the draft and this team is set up to win right now in my opinion well brett it sounds like a pretty strong draft class overall to
0: me one that's really built towards winning that NFC East and maybe playing off a sweep of the Cowboys this year. <laughs> any, any final thoughts for coach before we wrap
2: up? What do you I mean? Don't... The Cowboys are going to be the best team ever. They're probably going to go undefeated <laughs> according to Cowboys fans, right? My, I just if, think the low blows keep coming.
1: My job security, you know, uh, Cowboys are definitely going to win both games this year. I'm just kidding. Uh, this this Especially with this draft class, the Eagles are really trying to build their depth with the young guys and bringing speed to the table. Um but it's going to be a really exciting year and coach you we're going to watch these games together so we can you know have fun and uh you know I get to hear you say this is our year and then get smoked by the Eagles so uh that's all I got to say for you.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been fun having you on Brett our our Eagles man so thanks for for joining us today. Uh we are going to continue our NFL virtual tour Tomorrow, as Mike and Shane, I'm sorry, Mike and Santino will start to break down the AFC West. This completes our analysis of the NFC. So, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, Please do continue to tune in on a daily basis. Check us out at dfscoachtalk.com. We hand build all of our lineups, we use the eye test. We provide full lineups on FanDuel for our members in NFL, NBA, and MLB, along with the KBO. And we do very deep player analysis for our player pool on DraftKings that we provide to our members as well. So uh, thank you all for for your support. Give us a thumbs up or like wherever you're listening. And if you're not watching, you can find us on YouTube for these daily videos. Again, this was our first three-way video for an NFL podcast, so it, it was a lot of fun. And once again, on behalf of Brett Trimble and Shane Caldwell, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you so much for tuning in and be sure to check us out again tomorrow for the next episode of DFS Coach Talk.